Awareness, the final frontier. These are the explorations of Jonathan Robinson and Brian Tom O'Connor. Their continuing mission, to discover fresh new paths to the mystery within, to seek out new joys and new methods of awakening, to boldly go into the heart of expanded consciousness. This is Awareness Explorers. Welcome back, Awareness Explorers. Good to have you. I am your co-host, Jonathan Robinson, and I'm with my trusty co-host, Brian Tom O'Connor. And we are with a guest, a friend, somebody who was on the podcast once before talking about a different subject, uh, my friend and consciousness coach, Ted Strauss. But before I introduce Ted, let me uh, just say what this topic will be about that we're all exploring, and it is the topic of what could be called spiritual coaching, which is really a new model of helping each other. And Ted is a spiritual coach, as are Brian and me. So we have a lot to say about this subject. But first, let me uh, tell you a little bit about Ted. Ted is a spiritual coach for almost 50 years. He taught Transcendental Meditation for 20 years. He was in the first group of Waking Down teachers and created the Waking Down Teacher and Mentor Training Program. He's one of the senior teachers of Trillium Awakening. A lot of you know who, what that is. He's the co-founder of the iConscious.global, and he developed the iConscious Coaches and Leaders Program, training people to integrate consciousness and personal domains for accelerated development. I love the iConscious model, and I really like Ted a lot. So welcome to Awareness Explorers, Ted. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. I love hanging out with you guys, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, it's a fascinating topic and one that is not really talked about much. I know, you know, historically, there were lots of different models, which we'll talk about of helping people, you know, gurus and therapy and communities and workshops. And now we have like the spiritual marketplace where everything's out there and you pick and choose. It's like a buffet. And now we have this new thing, which we're calling spiritual coaching, which we might want to first uh, try and describe what that is, what we mean by that. And I think we all have our own ideas, but let me start with you, Ted. What do you mean by spiritual coaching? Well, I would like to say that I don't use that term because there's so many really old ideas associated with the word spiritual. So I think that the word spiritual has been associated with divine spirit, or, I mean, I use the word spirit synonymously with consciousness or awareness, just so you know. And coaching that is focused exclusively on spirituality, I think is part of the problem that we're experiencing. And it's part of some of the difficulties we have in the legacy of spiritual traditions. The issue that I have found in my own experience, because I spent a heck of a lot of time going after my own spiritual awakeness when I was a kid, and I guess the issue is that I went after trying to realize consciousness from the time I was like 13 until I finally, at around age 35, 36, 37, started realizing that that exclusive focus was actually slowing my development because I was missing out on my body, my relationships, my emotions, you know, what am I here uniquely to do and be? All of these parts of my being were being vastly undernourished because I was so focused on consciousness. And in my long career as a, originally a sort of spiritual coach, teaching transcendental meditation and helping people awaken consciousness, it's become abundantly obvious that the excess focus on consciousness slows everything down and gives us the wrong impression of what full development means. It gives us these myths of enlightenment that are all about having a light on in your head all the time, or always being like sort of, you know, kind of in the world, but not of it, sort of above everything, beyond everything. And these myths go on to really cleave our life in half. And there's a violence about it that really results in people being starving in half of their life and sort of 
uh, over flooded in the other half of their life. Bringing up so many good points that I want to make sure Brian uh, can can put in his two cents. I'll just say that I agree that really a spiritual coach is a life coach, but life coaches often just focus on material stuff like success or relationships. And we don't really have a term for a full life development coach. You know, we almost have to make a new term for that. And one of the things I appreciate about the iConscious model is that you talk about all the different domains of life and and I appreciate that's how you coach people as well. But um, Brian, what's what's your hit on all this? Oh, well, I resonate so much with what Ted just said, although I think about it in slightly different terms. One thing I've noticed in non-duality circles is that there's this idea that somehow non-duality excludes duality. And I think it's one of the central paradoxes that duality is included in non-duality. Our real life, the stuff of, of being, our, our, our individual talents and um, preferences are there and they can be part of also the universal consciousness in which they appear and they can merge. But when you cut yourself off from one, there's a certain dryness that, that can occur. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when we're talking about terms, um, a term I use frequently is whole being awakening. I think that's a nice description. So mm. I sometimes say, <clears throat> I'm an eye conscious coach. And sometimes I say, I teach whole being awakening. Because I write exactly as you said, there are these sort of different silos. And the problem is life is not siloed. Life is one thing. And the depth of the meaning that life is one thing is it, we don't have that many templates for how that actually looks to live that way. Because so many people are either like a therapist or, you know, they're into coaching people in, you know, achieving their life purpose or they're into consciousness or something like that. So, you know, from my perspective, it's all about integration. And until we get into the territory of integration, we're still in the realm, uh, which is a phase in the I conscious model called duality, in which we're seeing things in parts. So even if we have a very deep realization of consciousness and we know ourselves to be the one true self of the universe, if we're not also seeing that as non-separate non and completely the same as being this personal self, then we're still in the realm of seeing things in duality. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was um, very lucky. I was talking to a friend the other day who was in the spiritual group I was in, and we said that, you know, one of the things uh, my teacher, old teacher did named Justin uh, which we interviewed uh, on Awareness Explorers, was that we were very much involved in life activities. You know, we'd build hospitals for people. We build schools. We would, he'd always put us in charge of things that we weren't good at. So we'd have to get better and spirituality and being good at things in the world or, you know, being in your body or all these things, which are part of life were very much an emphasis. And we realized that we didn't know of other spiritual systems or teachers that really emphasize that so much. So it's a pretty rare thing. And uh, you develop the I conscious model, which helps people have a model of where they're at in different areas of their life and how they might take the next step forward. And how do you, how do you use that model to coach people? Or what do you do with that model? Well, when, I, when I'm onboarding a new client, the first thing I ask them to do is to go to iConscious.global, click on the personal growth tab, and take the iConscious assessment. And what that does is it takes them through a sort of self-adjusting uh, survey that asks them approximately 80 questions, the result of which is a chart that shows where they are, their, let's say their least developed zone in each of those five domains that I mentioned, consciousness, uniqueness, mind, emotions, and body. Then I take them through a personal interview, asking them more refined questions to figure out exactly, you know, okay, we, now we've sort of done a rough sort. Now we can do a much more refined pinpointing of where they are. And what I mean by where they are, because nobody's in just one place. They're, Everybody's kind of like an electron cloud with different probabilities of different locations. Yeah. So what we're really looking for is 
the least developed area in each of these domains, something that would actually hold up the rest of their growth. And yeah, a, a weak leg uh, makes the rest of the body weaker. There you go. It's kind of hard to go run a marathon with a weak leg. Yeah, that's exactly the point. So when we get to those weak points, then I start bringing my bringing the client's attention to these areas and talking with them about them, you know, just having a conversation. What are what are you aware of in terms of this zone that seems to be less developed in you? What, do you have any idea why this is less developed? And then all kinds of stuff will start emerging in that conversation. And we'll mm -hmm. delve into that. And basically the aim through the eye conscious work is to figure out what are the unmet needs. So just as Abraham Maslow did a, an amazing job, totally agree with his whole perspective. But even 15 years ago, it became immediately obvious to me that as great a job as he did, he could only go so far because he was only looking at basically stages one through five approximately on our model. And since we've made that model go all the way up to 14 stages that we can clearly see and define and assess for, each of these have their own needs. And the whole objective here is to work with the client to figure out what are the unmet needs and how can I help this client meet those needs? Once yeah. those needs are met, bingo, they're, they're automatically on to the next stage in their process. I should say that you have uh, taken me through this process and you have coached me and I found it helpful. I often kind of didn't like what you had to say because it was pointing towards the thing that I was weakest at, but it always felt right. Like, yeah, yeah, um, I, you know, really need to let that go or I really need to do that. And how I approach the clients that I coach, you know, I'm a psychotherapist and a coach is very similar. And I use the eye conscious model for that reason. I'm wondering, Brian, if you have a similar approach or, or a different philosophy? Well, I've noticed when I coach other people that the biggest challenge is that they seem to be in their heads a lot, that they seem to be trying to figure everything out. And sometimes I feel like my job is just to redirect their attention in, inward. And uh, but I, I do also have a slightly different take on the um, idea of looking for your weak points. And that's only from my personal experience. Now, this may be devil's advocacy. I don't know. I suspect that in the end, we're talking about the same thing. But I'm coming from the opposite. So when I was doing coaching with uh, Bridget Dangle Gaspard, and we did inner voice dialogue, coaching based on Hal and Sidra Stone's techniques. The biggest, um, the biggest insight that I found was that if I spent so much time fixing what was wrong with me, I would have no more energy left to expressing what's good about me. And that it all boiled down to, you know, the, the, the core negative belief. And that when I would come in with issues in my life, each time over and over again, oh, we, we've discovered that there was this part of me that thought there was something fundamentally wrong about me that needed fixing. And each time when I dropped that or just eased up on that through some strange alchemy, I don't un quite understand the things that I was trying to fix started improving when I stopped trying to fix them. And so I'm wondering um, whether you've discovered anything similar to that and whether that's either a contradiction or just another way of looking at what mm. you've been talking about. Well, I think it's pretty clear that there isn't just one way for anybody to awaken, right? There's going to be like a billion ways. In fact, everybody is going to have to find their own way with the help of different kinds of helpers who are going to come from many different kinds of angles. We're not talking about fixing. That's not where we come from in, in my work. That's not where I come from. And it's not where the eye conscious thing is coming from. But to understand the unmet needs. And now that's a different thing than what I think of as fixing, right? So if the unmet need is, for instance, I never got welcomed in my family, uh, is you know, then it's like, okay, then this person needs to be welcomed. And 
They need to be welcomed many times in different kinds of circumstances, uh, very warmly. Sometimes they need to be hugged a lot and held a lot. Sometimes they need to be told many times that they belong here. And after being told that enough, it sinks in, right? It's, it's not that we're fixing them. It's not like they're doing anything wrong. It's like they were starving and we're simply feeding them food. So, mm -hmm. you know, when people are starving and they go around saying, help me eat, help me eat. And if, you know, if they look like a homeless person, people are like, ugh, you know, they have a problem with that. And this happens spiritually, right? When people are starving for their basic needs to be met and other people like, oh, ego, yuck, let's not get near that. Let's just stay on the positive, right? That's a problem also. Right. <laughs> so we're talking about finding a balance with this stuff. Yes, of course, we want to, we constantly, and, and in my work with people, constantly give people templates for wholeness in any way I possibly can. But if I can identify an unmet need like this, that's holding back their whole development, I will do everything I can to help them get that need met. Wow, that's mm. really beautiful. And it's amazing because that actually does seem the same. I mean, it, yeah. it totally changes. And now I understand more clearly the paradigm you're coming from. And it wasn't what I was discussing. As you said, it wasn't about fixing. That looking yeah. for unmet needs, that really is deep. The whole thing about the attempt to fix, I mean, this is charted in the I-conscious model. We go through various stages of life and we eventually get to this recognition that things don't feel right. Some, you know, something feels wrong, not good enough, not perfect enough, just not right. And this feeling that sort of drives us to go for more and to get better and to be more spiritual and to be more right, um, it, it will drive us until we start realizing so that is very active in stage four as described in the model. We start realizing toward the end of stage four that all of the various material attempts at fixing this inner existential angst that we all feel um, isn't working. The material approach itself is not working. Okay, it brings me some benefits, this and that, the house, the, the relationship, the car, the job, but eventually people rot out of that and they start, you know, it's been called midlife crisis. It can happen at any point in a person's life. They start recognizing some, there's something deeper and I'm not getting it. And it's, I'm not getting the happiness I was promised. So then they come to stage five, which is a sort of, it ends up being a kind of spiritual materialism, seeking for spiritual remedies to the existential angst. And they go through that for a long time. A lot of fixing is involved with that. But the underlying need of that is to feel deeper than something deeper than the material world, to feel more connected with the other people and the universe, to feel how we belong in the world. So not only we help people find that need and get it met, but we help people right, get that need met and then they rot out of that into the next stage. Let me ask you, Ted, yeah. how, so, you know, most people don't feel like they have enough love <laughs> in their life or they're not loved enough. I'm sure that's a common thing that co comes up in terms of a need. So how might you help people get that need met? This may sound a little nuts, but I think one of the primary purposes of a whole being awakening coach or an eye conscious coach, or you know, someone who's doing integrative whole being work is to love the client. Now, this mm -hmm. does not sound like therapy, right? Because there's, you know, when people are in a certain stage in their life where they need to resolve stuff with their parents, it can be uh, rather dangerous <laughs> to um, bond too much in a personal way with the client. But, you know, the client needs some space to find themselves in the midst of the parental authorities and you as a therapist as representing that. Um, but at some, but when people get to the stage where they need the kind of help, where they're ready for the kind of help that I give, really, they're ready for just being loved. And so I do everything I can to understand who they are uniquely and to love them uniquely, to, to get them, mm -hmm. to validate them, to reflect their 
their own beauty, their own uniqueness, their own value, not as a rote thing, right? The object here is I just, I just fall in love with the client and I reflect what I see in them. And when they get that love from me, they are getting a template. So it's, a re, it's really a reparenting process that happens. How many yeah. of us grew up with parents who did nothing but love and support us? And when we did something wrong, you know, they were kind about training us how not to do that. Mm-hmm. I don't know anybody. I don't know anybody who grew up with parents like that. You know, the parents themselves were very disconnected. They mostly didn't know how to feel. They mostly weren't great at relating. And they gave us lousy templates for relationship and mm-hmm. for being human. Frankly, I'm not damning any of them. They did their best and humanity is where it's at. And I understand even the model even describes humanity's development. So, you know, humanity is around stage four, not terribly developed. It's just where we're at. But Anyway, that's what I do. I take this whole being approach and I, I do my best to love people and I encourage them in specific ways with specific practices, how to receive and give love in relationship mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. that area is completely messed up. Yeah, wow. yeah well, well, a lot of areas are messed up, but that's, that's one of them. My old teacher used to say, um, he only worked with 40 students and uh, he went to accept more. And he said it was important that a student and teacher, uh, a teacher be able to say, or a student be able to say to the teacher, can you pass the salt, which was a uh, analogy of I need to know you well enough, we need to be on close enough terms that I can help you, that the normal guru model where a guru might go through the town once a year but doesn't really know a certain student, he didn't think was very helpful for that reason, that it really requires a lot of specific intention and attention uh, in order to really help the unique situation everybody is in. And I think that's one of the advantages of whole being coaching or spiritual coaching or whatever we call it. Uh, Your thoughts, Brian? Well, my first reaction to hear Ted talk about that was acknowledging that it's been said that unconditional love is the most powerful force in the universe. And it was very moving to hear you talk about that. And uh, because it, even, even if you didn't say a word about it, people can feel it, people can sense it. And, and it is indeed powerful. Um, And when you talked about parents, I had one parent who was, but the other parent wasn't. <laughs> so uh, as you described, one parent who yeah. was just nurturing and, and everything you did wrong, just kind of, but, but not at the very beginning, not when I was two, when her, mm-hmm. when her back was out and she was carrying another, you know, was, mm-hmm. you know, the damage was done, but then later in life was just all love and, and, and it was quite amazing. But, <laughs> but so much of this, feeling that you aren't loved by your parents happens at such an early pre-verbal age. You know, I'm working with a guy who uh, is all the way at the far end of that spectrum that I have ever experienced. This poor guy, I'm so, you know, it's so much for him to overcome the obstacle. His mother had lost um, a girl before having him in uh, through a miscarriage and she completely apparently shut down her heart you know couldn't allow herself to love another baby and so even in his conception he feels he was conceived as a remedy for her pain not as a person so right from conception no love and the way he was um, raised no love he was raised with um, support only for his intellectual prowess. And so he organized his whole life around his mind. Normally, Ted, a person like that would go to years of therapy. And I'm wondering how what you're doing might be different or the same as that. Well, you know, I'm not a therapist. So I can't say I know what a therapist would do with that. And I'm not trained in therapies. 
therefore I'm not doing therapeutic techniques that way. What I do is I see this as a whole being person who has huge unmet needs in certain areas and is actually amazingly advanced in mind and consciousness. So this is like, you know, when the chart comes in from the initial survey online, mind and consciousness are way up here at around 10. And, you know, other parts of him are back at three or two and one, which is like, what the heck is going on here? And so the more I interview him, the more I start getting this fuller picture of what's going on. This is like a very fractured person, you know, who just has big needs here and has strengths over here. So one of the things I can do is help him use his strengths like that amazing consciousness that he developed even as a child in compensation for all this stuff that was going on. He can use that to see his own patterning and learn instead to make healthy choices for himself. Yeah, so you're using somebody's gifts to help and focusing it on a way to increase their weak areas. Like I have a, uh, a pretty good mind and I, I realized at some point that there was a limit to that and that I needed to use my mind to research the best heart-oriented or- methods, the best body-oriented methods. So now I'm a, at least an expert on the methods. I'm not so sure about the experience, but uh, it definitely changed me as I, as I used my head to open my heart and feel my body more. And that's a model that most people don't do because you usually need some, some person or some something to motivate you to point you in that direction. You know, people don't yeah. naturally say, hey, I got a weakness here, so I'm going to focus five years on that. You know, that's not how <laughs> most people uh, orient themselves. Yeah, I find that what really gets people out of their head and out of their conditioning more than anything is relationship. If you are bonded with somebody who you don't want to leave, who you'll do anything to make that relationship work, well, then there's, that's what's going to hook you into having to work on these issues. Like, you know, when I, when I met Hillary, my wife, I was a mess. I was like totally up in my head. I was completely narcissistic. And I couldn't see beyond the perspective that happens when you're living from your head. People felt me as a sort of, um, they, if some one person described me as feeling like a, a piece on my, my Ted's chessboard, like I'm just moving people around for my own benefit. And yeah, I played chess very well in high school. <laughs> so I could totally relate to that analogy. But, you know, relationships are what, help people to often see their weak spots and be willing to work on them. I think that's what you're saying. And I've certainly seen that in my life, you know, that we get thrown or we get pushed into that cauldron and we get to see that we might need some help. You know, I think one of the big issues here that underlies all of these difficulties is the hugely deep conditioning that everybody on earth now has of avoiding pain at almost all cost, avoiding discomfort. This kind of conditioning basically, you know, gets us into a place where as soon as we start feeling uncomfortable, we'll scramble into our compensation patterns, whatever they are. We either get busy to distract ourselves, we'll take drugs to distract ourselves, we will do relationship or get, you know, involved in anything that's just going to take our attention off of the discomfort. Or we will apply all kinds of spiritual or material technologies to deal with whatever we feel uncomfortable about. So this actually, in some ways, defines what happens in the earlier stages of our process. We'll tend to do a lot of that until we start noticing that even that is not actually working. What it's really doing is kicking the can down the road, and the issues don't go away until the needs get met, right? Mm -hmm. That's why the needs are so important, focusing on that. So, you know, relate what relationship does is it says, you know, I'll just say it the way I experienced it. When difficult stuff came up between myself and Hillary, you know, at first we would get into arguments and just repeat the patterns that we inherited. And then we realized, well, well that didn't work. <laughs> I didn't, didn't bring us closer. 
then we started really trying to listen to each other, which is very difficult to do because you have to be willing to endure a lot of discomfort. And, you know, the other person will give you their perspective, which is the opposite of yours, you know, so in so many ways. And you have to be willing to go, is that possible to have, you know, have a completely different perspective that doesn't make any sense to me and yet have that be somehow right? Yes, the answer is yes, by the way. And so when you come from that perspective and you start really listening to each other and being willing to feel the discomfort, suddenly there's nothing to argue about. No one's pushing. No one's pushing away. No one's confident. There's no resistance. You're, right. you're, you're interested in learning about yourself and your obstacles. And that changes a lot. It changes everything. Yeah. Right. So instead of like, I, you know, I, don't, I really am uncomfortable that you did that. And then the other person going, well, you, I'm uncomfortable when you do that. Well, that doesn't work. Instead, it's like, I'm uncomfortable when you do this. And it's like, oh, tell me more about that. Right. And sometimes that even leads to, yeah, it all started back when I, you know, with my sister, when I was so-and-so and every time she did that and this pattern got started and then all of a sudden the pattern starts healing and unraveling. Now we're actually moving forward and we're, uh, you know, healing these things instead of just repeating these patterns of resistance. Yeah. You know, these are such different models than than how people work on themselves. You know, it, it's very relational. Like you were my coach for a while, and it was very much, you know, gaining to asking me a lot of questions and and giving me certain methods or ideas. And that's so different than what a guru does. It's different mm -hmm. than even what a therapist does, uh, although that might be the closest thing. I know I've taken a lot of workshops and workshops are helpful, but you don't have an ongoing relationship. Mm -hmm. And then there's the self-help marketplace, which is so personally directed that it's hard to get over one's personal likes and dislikes into something that might be more beneficial coming from outside. You know, we, we tend to do what's easy for us. And I'm wondering, Brian, you know, you've done a bunch of the old models and you've also done a little bit of spiritual coaching. What, what's your comment on all that? Well, I really resonate with so much of what you said. And, and I, I did find during therapy that I wanted, I wanted more of a teacher. I wanted, I mean, I did feel that this was a place and the, the most important thing was here was a place where it was safe to have my emotions. And this was a person where I felt, from whom I felt unconditional regard. And that was the first step to healing, but I wanted more. I wanted, I wanted what Bridget and I call the Rolls-Royce techniques, which is whenever some emotion or feeling or situation in life happens that I don't want, stop. Stop the strategies to change it, allow it look at what it is appearing in, be the background of awareness without trying to fix it. And for instance, when I had a first taste of that, what I would call sat chidananda or the joy of being awareness, I would sit down to meditate because I was in a bad mood. And I figured that my meditation would get rid of that bad mood. And it never did. When, that, when my meditation was a strategy to change what I was feeling, no, no dice. It didn't work. And then when I realized that, I would just laugh. Oh, you mean I'm sitting here meditate so I don't feel the way I actually do feel? How about totally being okay with how I do feel? And then, <laughs> and then the joy would bubble up again, almost unbidden and unrelated to circumstances. That was uh, advice Ted would often give me if I was going through a challenging time. Well, just be with what you're feeling, allow it, and don't try to manipulate it in any way. And that's been an ongoing lesson, right. Ted. And exactly. Anything else you want to say about that? You know, this tendency is so enormous that I'm telling you, no matter how much we're talking about it today, and you could, you know, your listeners will, I'm sure it's not a completely new idea to most of your listeners. And yet to get to the place where you're genuinely willing to actually just be with discomfort, it raises everything. And, you know, to me, I think part of what it raises is that 
for most of us, not all of us, but I'd say vastly most of us, when we are in the womb, all our needs are being cared for. It's nice and warm. We're being loved. This is as good as it gets. This is really great. And as soon as we come out into the world, it's just not like that, right? All of a sudden, it's very different. We have to we have to deal with all of the stimulus that's thrown at us. We have to eat. We have to take, you know, we have to deal with mom and dad and other people. It's just this constant thing. And there's a way that it seems like, God, it was never as good as back there. So I, sh- I shouldn't have to deal with this crap is kind of the attitude. And then it leads to this thing that I call the tantrum. You know, I'm working with a client and they get triggered by something and they have a tantrum over it. And then after that, you know, if they're mature enough that I can be very direct with them, I could say, okay, great. How's that feel? Better? <laughs> Is that working for you? Yeah. You know, and at some point they get like, well, not really. You know, that didn't really fix anything. I just blew off some steam. But, you know, I'm, I, you know, if they're at a certain place, that's why, you know, we did this model is to like help figure out exactly where they are so we can help them right where they are. If they're at the place where they're ready to recognize the futility of avoiding discomfort, then I can go directly in there and help them do that. If they're not, it's not going to work. You know, you can lead that horse to water, but they won't drink. They'll, you know, I just did an interesting Enneagram workshop with a group at a real estate firm. And um, one guy who was a type seven, I helped him clarify that he's a type seven. I'm a type seven. I gave him... This one practice I love giving to type sevens because they hate it. <laughs> Wait, what's what's and a type seven? Just before type you seven on yeah, thanks. Type seven on the Enneagram are um, they are. I'm trying to remember the name, but they're like really interested in everything. They're mentally based. They love having tons of projects without limits. Like they are very aligned with the field of all possibilities, but doing one thing at a time at Earth speed is very painful because it cuts off a million other possibilities for them. And they, so they hate that. They, they just like having a lot of different options and jumping around when they get uncomfortable, just switch attention to something positive is what they tend to do. So the homework I tend to give them is try driving at the speed limit. <laughs> and they're like, this guy is like, no way, I'm not doing it. I don't care. I'm just not doing that. So, right, okay, this guy is not at that, he's, you know, somewhere between, he's probably, he's probably at around stage four. Yeah. Well, you know, that gets into the idea of what are the methods that we're using as uh, whole being coaches. And, and one of the methods that you mentioned is like, you'll give people very specific tasks to help them with their weak leg. And Uh, I know also sometimes there's a lot of spiritual methods, you know, from the finders course that Brian and I took, there's specific methods that sometimes I'll give people that will put them more in their heart or put them more in their body because those are not very well developed. There's sometimes I give people the task of trying different sacred medicines and leading them because they haven't had certain experiences. It might be, you know, magic mushrooms or something else. And, and they need glimpses of higher states. But there's also uh, what you mentioned, a caring and loving a person. But something I found really useful is accountability. People don't have accountability towards, you know, driving at the speed limit or doing a sitting with discomfort. And a lot of times as a coach, I and uh, I, I text people and I make them accountable to me so that they know that they're making progress. And I'm wondering uh, in, in Brian and your uh, Ted's coaching, if you have accountability as part of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I, you know, the, the I conscious model is really a description of averages and fuzzy, you know, f- you know a, a way that holds the fuzziness of how people develop. And the accountability piece is something that um, many people are weak on in different areas. And uh, there are certain people with certain personality types that have difficulty with structuring their time and attention. 
And so they yeah. actually are very helped by accountability practices like you were just describing. You know, and your $2 technique, I absolutely love. It which, really which works. For people who don't know that, I, I say like, you know, if you want to meditate, say I'll meditate for 20 minutes, five times this week. And for each time that you don't do that, rip up $2. And if people know that they're accountable to me and I'll check on them, the threat of ripping up $2 is enough to get the fear of God into almost everybody. And I find that people have a, like a 99% chance of success as long as they know that I will hold them to that. So it's yeah. not about ripping up money. It's about avoiding ripping up money. And it works really well. It works really well. I use it all the time. I really appreciate Great. that. Yeah, uh, but you know when it, when you know when I look at the spectrum of how people grow on the model, um, people in stages three and uh, three and four, so it's pretty young. It's kind of like pre-adult and early adult uh, stages need to learn this. There's ways in which people can just kind of go, it's all going to work out, no problem, blah blah blah, and just let it all it will happen, which is a very sort of yin kind of approach to life. And if they don't have enough yang they never develop the capacities that develop when you actually do disciplined things. Right. I mean, you know, back in the day when I was, you know, uh, studying in TM and learning to become a TM teacher, we did a hack of a lot of meditating, breathing exercises and yoga. And that is a discipline. And yeah. that I, I can say without a doubt that that helped me tremendously in my personal development. I, you know, I, it, it was too overstructured in that way. And it didn't, and there were lots of things that it missed that were, you know, not very helpful, but in that way, it was very helpful. So yeah, I yeah. find discipline very necessary in certain cases. You know, once I was talking to Ramdas and he said, uh, I give different instructions to different people. If somebody's like very disciplined, I tell them, you know, take off your tie, relax, you know, uh, smoke some marijuana, you know, go on vacation. <laughs> but if somebody's not disciplined, they say, get your act together, buddy. Remember yeah. your zip code, you know, let's do some pranayama. <laughs> and so different people need yeah. different things at different times, for sure. And a coach can, you know, it's, it's very hard for people to see that for themselves. But if somebody knows you, it's like very obvious that you don't have to have a PhD to see some of these things. Yeah, that's why in the, um, the I Conscious Coaches and Leaders program I created, we are training people to have a very big perspective and to hold masculine and feminine and uniqueness and all of the, you know, all these five domains and the four views. So we have perspectives on our life. So with this kind of big overall perspective, you can do exactly what you were talking about is like figure out what they're missing, you know, what they need mm -hmm. and really right. give them that. Because otherwise, if people are just trained in one perspective, you know, they become a hammer looking for a nail. Exactly. It's one of the things I liked about the eye conscious models. It gives you a really uh, more accurate map than some of the other things that people use, which is kind of like, I feel like it, I don't feel like it or or some other therapeutic model that only covers one part of one's being. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. By the way, you know, you were talking about, you know, specifically how we do some of these integration things in the kind mm -hmm. of work that I do. Um, I have a little practice I can take your listeners through whenever the time comes. So I just want to let you know, it's going to be a kind of an integration practice. Uh-huh. Yeah, that looks great. And that'll be part of our meditation. Before we go there, are there things that, Brian, you have questions about or things that you want to say or, or Ted, things that were unsaid yet? I, I have one thing. Um, you were talking earlier about um, possibly using your strengths and it just reminded me, and I think a really good metaphor for this that I discovered was, you know, I, I study singing and, you know, I used to be a very defensive learner, but after sort of, you know, working with, uh, you know, just not trying to fix myself. I, I, be I became much less defensive and I, and, I, and I learned something, a technique that really good singing teachers use. They find what you do well. For example, open vowels, I couldn't do. Ah, I had a hard time with, but when I sang ooh and e, I sang it really well. And so the good teachers would say, okay, we're going to work on your ooh and your e, and then very slowly, 
open that yeah. from ooh to the o from the closed vowel to the open vowel. So they're starting with what you do well, and then letting that inform what you don't do as well. And so you never feel, you know, corrected or put down or faulty or or you know you knew you you were studying because you wanted to get good at something. But if, I found that technique really wonderful and very sort of. Um, a parallel to a lot of what the two of you were talking about. Uh, absolutely parallel. And I do a lot of that in many different kinds of ways. First of all, the idea of correcting somebody uh, in, suggests that there's a correct way to be. I reject that entire thing uh -huh. completely. <laughs> like, you know, every, the uniqueness domain in the iConscious model is there to remind us that everybody really is absolutely unique. In fact, I think of everybody as, represent, as being their own dimension of life. Each person is a dimension of life. We are here to bring certain qualities into life and to represent those qualities in life. And when we go, we still represent those qualities in life. That's what we're here for. That's what we're about. So when people use our name, they're referring to a certain way of being in life and seeing life. And um, when we come from the recognition that everybody is perfect, actually just the way they are, truly, this is not just an ism and it's not a technique. People are perfect the way they are. We are designed to be the way we are. And this is something a lot that I learned from human design. I had all kinds of ideas about what a correct spiritual person would look like and sound like. And as soon as I got into human design back in the late 90s, it was like, oh no, this is completely not what's going on here. And once human you design that, for people who don't know is, is a system of, of uh, categorizing how people are, which won't go into, but it's, you know, kind of like astrology or Enneagram. It's, it's a method of, of understanding people. And it's a method that understands them very deeply and uniquely, you know, instead mm -hmm. of like even the Enneagram, which is one of my favorite uh, technique or, you know, practice uh, systems of categorization, which I find mm -hmm. deeply, deeply helpful. Human design is just way more specific about the uniqueness of the individual. And then yeah. the more I got into that, the more I could see like that all of these spiritual ideas about how we're supposed to be are completely off base. And that's why so many people just end up feeling squashed. You know, if, if I'm not matching the, the current group's spiritual idea of the right way to be, I'm unconsciously being rejected and put yeah. down. Yeah. So yeah, um, what I do is I help people, I am constantly reflecting back to people who I feel that they are uniquely and encouraging them to be who they are and to stop editing themselves, you know, and speak their truth and say things. Which is a big problem because people yeah. are trying to fit in with the current cultural idea of spirit rather than trying to blossom who they are. And, and that's one of the things that uh, we do as coaches in this realm. And I think it's a, a really important new model that is, does not have quite the following that the other models have because it's so new, but I think it's really a breakthrough because it avoids a lot of the potholes of the other models. You know, you don't have to follow a guru that gets discredited. You don't necessarily have to pay huge amounts of money. You don't have to be with a therapist for years. You're not just getting your own narcissistic needs met by choosing whatever feels good to you. It's a, it's a whole new approach. Yeah. I, you know, taking the whole being approach to me is the only way to go. And the reason it's the only way to go is because we are whole beings right? If we are not actually addressing our whole being, we're not moving toward whole being awakening. And to me, true unity consciousness and beyond, true non-duality, let's say, includes everything. It, it excludes nothing. And so any approach, any kind of spiritual coaching or even therapy coaching or any approach whatsoever that is taking just a narrow view of a person 
and trying to move them from this one perspective is necessarily going to be problematic. If that person, if the uh, person who is in the helper position doesn't have a big whole being perspective, uh, there's going to be problems that arise. They're projecting their lack of wholeness onto this person, and that person yeah. will template on that. Right. Um, I want you to, uh, I know you have a guided meditation to take people through this, um, but if people want to learn more about your model, is the best way to reach you through iConscious.global? Uh, that's one way to reach me uh, through iConscious.global. You can go through um, About and Founders and you can contact me there. There's lots of resources at iConscious.global. And uh, also go check out my website at tedstrauss.com. There's some resources there. There's some of my writings up there that might be very helpful. Uh -huh. And um, I'm available to help coach people. And uh, a couple of times a year, we run these iConscious Coaches and Leaders training to help people become whole being coaches. Yeah, yeah, great. And also, Brian and I are coaches, and you can contact us through awarenessexplorers.com. And I think we have a thing about uh, contacting us and what we do in coaching. And of course, if you want extra stuff from our podcast, you go to patreon.com forward slash awareness explorers. And for as little a dollar as a month, you get extra stuff like excerpts from interviews and blogs and other stuff. So feel free to look at that. But is now a good time to do the meditation, Ted, or the guided process? Works for me. I think we've touched on enough stuff. Great. Okay. So let's start by getting comfortable and closing our eyes. And begin by putting your attention on the physical sensations of your body. Whatever you can feel, just be with that. And now put your attention on whatever emotions are present, whatever subtle feelings or emotions are there. And now notice your thoughts. Just let them come and let them go. Just notice them. And now feel your entire sense of your personal unique self. Your sense of me. Just feel that. And now imagine you're picking up a magic eraser and erase that personal me, the thoughts, the emotions, and the body. Just erase everything. and be with the kind of empty stillness that remains. And now notice that because everything else was erased and you're still here, that this boundless awareness is also you. Just feel this quiet edgelessness. And feel it as yourself.
And now bring back in that feeling of personal self along with this edgeless, boundless awareness and feel both. And be aware of thoughts and feel all of that boundless awareness, thoughts, personal self. And bring in your feelings, your emotions. We're bringing back in the layers. Feel it all. And now feel your body along with all those other layers. Still being boundless awareness, but also very personal and in your body. Feel yourself as this wholeness of infinite awareness and all your personal domains all at once. And as we begin to come out of this contemplation, just know that as you're opening your eyes, your intention is to hold this whole being awareness. And then slowly open your eyes. Notice your attention gets sucked out and close them again. Close your eyes again. Come back to this whole being awareness. And then again, slowly open your eyes. And as you come back into the room, see how much you can retain of that whole being awareness. The intention of this exercise is to sort of intentionally divide these five domains so you can get them in your sights and then bring them together. And that simulates unity consciousness. It doesn't fully simulate what I would call non-duality, which is even beyond that, but this is good. This will help your listeners. And I hope that this whole perspective I'm bringing will help heal the spirit matter split that has plagued humanity for thousands of years. Yeah, I like the, uh, the becoming aware of all the different parts you're being rather than getting lost in one of them and, and then opening your eyes and, and trying to maintain that. It's, it's a new experience or a new way of approaching. I like that a lot. Yeah, me too. It, it, it sort of brought me to something that I, I discovered, I didn't really understand what it meant, but the phrase empty fullness. Ah, uh, yes. Beautifully, beautifully put. Exactly right. I mean, myself was sort of the empty space in which everything appears, and yet all experience was in it and not separate from it. It's all sort of one yes. taste. Yes, right. That is a form of non-duality that I pray that uh, every spiritual seeker on the planet will actually move toward that. Yeah, I use the term silence dancing, and that helps me to tune into that. That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. nicely put. Yeah. 
Well, this has been a treat, as we knew it would be, Ted. And I hope our listeners got some good stuff about this new approach to helping, as Ramdas said, uh, walk each other home. Uh, we really need new approaches. It's a new world, and we need all the help we can get. Mm, yep. Yep. Thanks so much for having me. This has been lots of fun. So great uh, to have you and so much fun to talk to you. Thanks, Brian. It's been good. And thank you, listeners. If uh, you get value out of this, pass it on to your friends and family because we knew we do need these new approaches because it's a crazy world out there. And until next time, friends, keep exploring. Keep exploring. Thank you for listening to Awareness Explorers. To learn more, you can check out our website at awarenessexplorers.com. Please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. We'd love it if you would post a review. And please share our link on Facebook and with family and friends, because knowing yourself as awareness is the greatest gift you can give yourself or someone you love.